You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Dan. We're continuing on today with our discussion of deacons in terms of uh, how we're going to proceed through this and, and understanding what God has in mind for that. Uh, if you did not get a sheet of the deacon qualifications and the process that we're going to go through, those are still on the information table back there. You're welcome to grab one of those as you go. And they were emailed out as well, so hopefully you'll be able to you know, kind of figure out what's going on as we go through here. So as we're talking about deacons, today we're going to talk about is the uh, functions of deacons, how they, how they actually work. Last week, Steve talked about the qualifications, who should be a deacon, how we can figure that out. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about kind of what they're supposed to do. So as I was thinking about this, you know, first, first talking about this, I just had an image that I couldn't get out of my head. Can you put that first slide up there? That's the image I had. Sorry, I just it, it came to my mind. The grew in his minions and what's going to go on, and I just can't shake it. But we know that's not the right idea, right? And anybody who's seen these movies knows those fellas weren't all that helpful. Right? Next slide. Yeah, they weren't all that helpful. Anybody who's seen the movies knows what they were doing right there, and they were not a help. I thought about showing the movie clip, and I decided it probably wasn't appropriate. But those of you who have seen it, use your imaginations, okay? So to be clear, I, I don't think... The pastors are grew, and you, the deacons will be minions, but I just couldn't get it out of my mind. I do want to clear one thing up, okay, about that. Last picture, please. Any resemblance to Gru is purely coincidental. Uh, I got no hair. He's got no hair. I know it, all right? My kids tell me regularly, okay? Sean may be follically challenged, but that's for him to deal with. I'm not going to speak to that. I just did, but I'm not going to. Um, Steve's carrying the ball for us on the hair department. He's still got hair, so that's good, all right? So somewhere in there, we're not Gru, okay? Um, however... I do want to point out that we all have beards and he does not, right? Groot is not. So this clears us of that. And, you know, it, it's just, I don't want to get that image in your head. I already did, I know. Um, speaking of facial hair, though, right? When I was a kid, facial hair kind of freaked me out. I was a kid. I'm going to date myself here. I was a kid in the 70s. That's the 1970s, not the 1870s, okay? 1970s. So those of you who are alive or have seen pictures, you know what that facial hair was like. Mutton chops, Fu Manchu, stuff like that. You know, so it kind of like made me a little nervous. I was thinking about it. I didn't like that. But as I got older and I grew up, it started to grow on me. Yeah, you got it. All right, yeah. That one's for free, by the way. It's worth the charge of admission you paid, right, to get that joke? Okay. Dad joke out of the way, ready to go. Okay. Bible time. So in Acts 6, that's the traditional passage that people will look at to say where did deacons come from. Um, so we're going to look at that and talk about how it, it plays out, and then we can understand for ourselves how this works. So let me read that for us. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Okay, so it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greek Jews, rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So just a quick summary of that for you. Uh, this was you know, soon after uh, the events of Pentecost and all that, where all of a sudden there were a whole bunch of Christians in Jerusalem. 
um, people that had visited for the Passover and stayed because they, uh, they surrendered their lives to Christ and life changed for them, right? So you had a whole bunch of uh, Jews that had converted, but also a whole bunch of people from other countries, other territories and things around there that had come as Jews but converted. So those are the Hellenists, the Greeks, the people that weren't native Hebrews, okay, that kind of thing. And there was just a contention that they, the, the Greek families that were there, the Greek is the word for not Jewish, basically, they felt like they were being neglected uh, in the dist daily distribution, in the, uh, the food process, giving out food, because they had to feed a lot of people. The people were from out of town. They didn't have their own homes to live in. So that was the gist of the... the dissension that was happening in this. So how do we handle all this? Um, I want to talk about some of the historical perspective here so that we can get a, a sense of the origin of the church office of deacon. That's really the purpose of this, is to, to let us know how deacons are supposed to function and work based on what the scripture says. So that, that's my first point, is what's the origin of the office, right? So now I'm not a Greek scholar, as you all would know, um, but the word there is diakonos, and it's it means servant generally, and we'll talk about the the actual full meaning of that later on. But it, it, it's transliterated into our language. That means we stole it. We stole the word diakonos and turned it into deacon. Um, so that's that's where we get it from. Um, now, it actually, interestingly, only appears as a verb here. When, when the uh, apostles say we don't want to uh, neglect the ministry of the word for serving tables, that was the only place in this passage that word shows up. And it says a verb. They were just talking about serving the tables. They weren't giving it a title. The title deacon doesn't appear in this uh, in this passage here, um, and and these guys were not called the deacons that we see in First Timothy that Steve preached from. That that didn't exist. This was kind of where things started from. Okay, um, what we really have is the literal origin of the office. Just started right there without a title because nobody knew what was going on. All right, and so there was an evolution. In the, can I say evolution in church? Is that okay? All right. Uh, there's an evolution of the. Uh, the office as time went on as the New Testament church was born, right? We're, we're looking at really the church being born at Pentecost and all that stuff, and it's just a different time. And as life went on, and Paul wrote Timothy later, and I'll talk about that as well, things had changed. So we're, we're seeing a, a change from what these guys did into what the office of deacon um, turns out to be later. Um, so consider it this way. This was really helpful to me. Um, the church started with the apostles saying, hey, this is how things go, right? Jesus told them and, and helped them learn, and God gave it to them to do things. So it started with the apostles, but they couldn't be everywhere, and they knew that they were not going to be around forever, right? So as the church grew, Paul very wisely, and it wasn't just him, but he's the one we have communicating it to us, very wisely started telling churches to appoint elders and pastors and bishops and overseers, all those different words that are used for that office, right? Uh, to kind of take on the shepherding duties that the apostles started doing, right? The, the, um, the apostles did all that, but couldn't be everywhere, wouldn't, knew they wouldn't last forever, and they needed that office to continue because the church needs that. A church needs uh, the overseer, the shepherd, the person to guide them. Um, that position was designed by God, right? It, it very clearly we see in Ephesians all those different offices that are, or not offices, but positions in church are given by God to grow the churches up. Um, the baby churches that the apostles planted as they in Jerusalem and then as they dispersed, they needed to grow, and it was going to take pastors and elders to do that, right? The, that office had to happen. So we, we very clearly see that change over time. Um, from the early days of Jerusalem and Acts into the later days of the New Testament, that's a very easy uh, development to watch, right? So what we see here in terms of the deacon situation, 
is there were needs that needed to be addressed, right? And this happened. The apostles said, hey, we need some helpers. Let's do it this way. And we chose some men to help. And then that model clearly was approved by God as we watch through the development of the, the New Testament church up until the time Paul was talking to Timothy, and things changed, and the office became defined, and it was given a name. And uh, you know, Paul then later said, hey, this is how it works, right? And he actually didn't say this is how it works. He said, these are the guys that should do it. Um, so that, that, that's what we're looking at here. This, this passage in Acts isn't literally the deacon was named there, because it's not. It's how it started, okay? And, and I want us to understand that, that it, it, and it's hard because we see the Bible as a written book and done, but it was written over time and things changed along the way there. And we need to not look at, uh, I made this mistake when I was an early Christian, it's kind of funny now that I look at it back. But if, the, if for me, if the book came, like Romans comes before Ephesians or whatever. So whatever Romans says dictates what Ephesians says, right? That's not how it works, right? They were written in different orders and things. So we have to acknowledge that and make sure that we understand that as we read the Bible. The things in Acts happened at one time. All those letters that Paul wrote happened after a lot of things had developed. So we, we need to kind of get that in our brains. And to put that into a modern context, okay? So there, look at the time frames. Um, in Acts 6, that's uh, roughly the mid-30s AD, right? There's always a little fuzziness to that, but some 33, 34, wherever that lands. Um, so we have that. And 1 Timothy was written somewhere in the mid-60s AD, so about 30 years later, give or take. Okay? And to put that in a modern context, um, think about it this way. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak created Apple computers in 1976, and they went public in 1980. That's when Apple really like hit the market. Okay? Again, ancient history for you young folks, I know. Um, but 30 years later, fast forward 30 years to 2010 for them, okay? Now consider if you had gone into the garage they were working in 1976 to 1980 to do all that and told them that ugly little beige box with that funky little green monitor was going to turn into that deck of cards size smartphone we have, right? They were, they were going to change the world, obviously, right? You're going to take a, a little box that had a few kilobytes of storage and turn it into this little thing that has, you know, gigabytes of storage. They would, what would they have thought? That would have been absurd to them, right? They, they would have, internets, apps, all the different devices and things like that, not even on their radar. So that kind of transition is there. You know, they, they, they would be, you know, looking at that and have no idea. In fact, I, I actually know what they would ask when you told them this. Why did we name everything beginning with an I? That's what they would have asked, I think. What, what iPhone, iPad, why'd you do that? That's crazy, okay? So, you know, but really, that kind of transition, and obviously those of you who are familiar with computers know about, I forget the guy's name, Cooper's Law, whatever it is, where everything doubles so fast, and it's a different world, I get it. But the transition of that time frame is a similar transition, right? You, they went from Jews in the temple sacrificing things, all of a sudden Jesus did his thing, and life changed for everybody, and now life changed for everybody for 30 years. Right? So there is a difference between what happened in Acts and what Paul's talking about, and we, we should recognize that. Um, so as, as we do that, we see, that let's get back to Acts now instead of thinking about Apple computers and whatnot. Um, as the needs arose, God gave them wisdom. He helped them understand what to do. And he helped the infant church to do what they needed to do, but there was no name for it. They didn't, they didn't need to. It was just something that was happening, right? And as the, the church grew, things change, right? It doesn't take away from the fact that they weren't called that at the time, that these guys were clearly the prototype of that office, right? They clearly were the foundation of how that was going to work. Um, in fact, you, you went from, the church was all in Jerusalem at this time, 
there were no other people around the world that knew about Jesus because it all happened in Jerusalem. And then it dispersed, right, to become a much more mature church 30 years later. And that much more mature church needed some different approaches, okay? Now that everybody's not hanging out in the same town and everybody knew what everybody was talking about, right? That's what was going on in Jerusalem. They were all together. They all could communicate and have everybody. So these guys that were serving, everybody knew what they were doing. And it's okay. They can do it. But as you disperse around the globe, different people running things, different places, Paul going around founding churches and leaving elders behind him and that kind of thing, um, at some point, it, you needed some universal discussion about how to do this, and that's where Paul came in with his letters. He started telling people this is how it's going to work, right? He delineated the role. He defined uh, the people that should do it, gave it a name, and I bet he didn't give it the name. I bet people started calling them that, and they all just adopted it, would be my guess. Nobody really knows. There's no record on that. But he didn't, in his letters, say, hey, by the way, let's call these guys deacons. He said, hey, deacons, also this, right? So they were already calling them that. It was a development that happened, and he just gave it, like confirmation in the scripture. Um, and in, in 1 Timothy, I want us to realize this is going to be a big part of our conversation today. Paul doesn't actually define deacons. He, he defines the guys who should do it. He gives qualifications, right? And it had already been happening. He didn't have to tell people, you need people to do these things. From that event in Acts, it grew into people doing these things. And he said, all right, if we're going to have that happen, this is how it's got to work. For those guys, you can't just have random people doing it. You need to have, there, there's a meaning to it. These guys are important to the life of the church, and we're, we're going to say who should do it, but it was already happening, the definition. So Paul's not defining what they should do. He's defining who should do it, and that even brings more import to what's going on for us because he defined for us, too, in the scriptures, right? That's one of the cool things, and Steve brought this up last week as well. Paul talks to the people around him at the time, but it, God intended that to last forever for us, too. So as Paul's defining who should do it and all those things in the scripture, we need to take this part of it, what they're supposed to be doing from the scripture as well. And what Paul wrote is what we can hear. Okay, So all those, um, all those things, it makes it clear that Paul expected deacons to be there, and he wanted certain guys to do it. That means God expected deacons to be there, and he wanted certain guys to do it, stuff like that. So that event in Acts... Um, is the starting point for the conversation. It is, isn't the definition of the people grew from there, the office grew from there, the churches grew from there, um, but that certainly is the place where that started. Okay? It's not a limiting factor, in other words. It's not, this is how it works. It was, the reason it works is there. And by the way, Paul will define who should do it, and then the how comes as we're discussing further. Okay? So that's my next point, actually, is we need to talk about the functions of deacons. And what I want to just think about is what deacons are and what they are not, right? It's, it, and this is a very big potential for confusion. Um, you can certainly see this as you look around history, you look around different types of churches, and it, it, even within a denomination, it, it doesn't have to be denominational. It, it, this is across everything. There's no clarity in, in any one place that deacons are what they are. And you can look at every type of, uh, you know, segment of Protestants, every type of Catholic church, even there, which has a strong hierarchy, even there, there's some differences, okay? So um, you, you look, some of the things that typically happen, and most of these aren't really probably what deacons are supposed to be do, 
be doing um, from what we see in scripture, I don't think. You see deacons acting as a ruling board of the church, and this, some of you guys might have experienced this. We're, we're coming, everybody's got different experiences, different experiences from their church background. Some people may be new to church here at River and have no clue. Some people may have come from different churches and have expectations, and we gotta sort through all that, okay? So, you know, some churches will treat deacons as a ruling board, some they just have to take care of the facilities, um, some people think it's an accountability board for the pastor. Uh, some people just have them count the money. Some people have them sit in the back room, smoke cigars, and play poker. I don't know, right? You got all kinds of things going on that, that it's just different places. Um, so, and it's understandable to me because the Bible is actually not so clear about what the duties of deacons are, okay? And I think that's actually on purpose. Um, so that should hopefully give you a little bit of pause and say, wait a minute, if God's not clear about things, God's, God's not a God of confusion. He's got a peace, and he, and he likes things done decently and in order. And that, that's some First Corinthians stuff for you there, too, right? That's not me making that up. So that makes me a little nervous to hear that, wait, things aren't clear, so it produces different situations. So I, I think it's not clear because the specific duties are not intended to be tied to the office, but the functions or the purpose of de the deacon position, I think, is pretty clear, okay? When we see how they, how they worked here and what the, the way they're talked about by Paul in First Timothy, in terms of the qualifications, there's actually some, some ideas and clues there to help us see kind of what their, their function is, okay? So we're gonna go back to that word diakonos again. Um, and its basic use is servant, okay? And, and I wanna get something out of the way because there is an idea out there. I didn't list it because I wanna talk about it directly. Um, some churches will take this as all Christians are supposed to be servants. So everybody's a deacon, and, and that's just clearly not the case. Um, anybody who serves in any way doesn't make him a deacon. The, the, um, the first Timothy passage clearly shows that deacons are a specific group of people set aside from the rest of the body to do some stuff, okay, and to, to be a certain way. Um, and when you look at the, the conversations that happen in the scripture about deacons, there's only a few of them actually. First, in Philippians 1 and also in Timothy, those two places, the, uh, the overseers and deacons are treated together, which is an important idea, but also separately from the body. In fact, Philippians 1, it's, it's Paul's uh, salutation to the church of Philippi. He's greetings to the saints and to the overseers and deacons. He's clearly separating them out. So um, it, it, it's clear that that's not the reality to anybody, I hope, that just because it's the word servant, anyone who's servant is a deacon. And in fact, you see here in Acts, they, they set them in front of the apostles and they laid hands on them. They indicated this is a, a position that we're, not a position position, but this is a, a, a group of guys that we're, we're sending them to do something. So that, that, let's get that one out of the way. That, that's a, a stumbling block for some folks that, well, we're all supposed to serve each other and love each other and, and, and that kind of thing. But that, that's just not what's going on with the, the office of deacon. Okay, so I'm not a Greek scholar, okay, clearly. Uh, I depend on those who are to do this. And one of the readings I used to, to prepare here today, it's, one of its sources was a man who got his PhD studying this word, diakonos. He actually found 770 different instances, not just in the Bible, but in all the like historical contemporary literature, histories, and, and things like that. 770 usages. I'm gonna think this guy knows what he's talking about. Okay, so I'm gonna kind of lean on that a little bit. And I, want, I don't want to go too deep, but the, it'll help us to understand what's happening here. There's basically, he came up with four uses of this word, so I have a slide for that. All right, so you can, that's interesting, that's not the way I typed it. Oh, well, it, it works, it's good. Um, so 
got lost there because I got confused. All right, so four things, all right? You got the idea of a table attendant, or literally a waiter, right? that, that kind of thing. Um, and then there's the general servant, sort of like uh, the domestic help, uh, butler slash maid type person, kind of does everything for you in your house. And then there's the idea that it's a, an official communicator, someone who would carry a message or an envoy. And then the last one is that someone who has agency for you, someone who stands in your place, uh, a subordinate with designated authority. You know, think like the president's chief of staff or something like that. Someone who would be able to say, "Well, he said to do it, so you need to do it," kind of thing. Okay, those are the four general uses in in biblical contemporary times for that word. And that's as deep as I'm going with the, the Greek. Okay, that's it. Uh, so from what I said earlier, the domestic help piece doesn't cut it, right? It's not just everybody who does anything. That's not what this word is supposed to be in terms of its usage for the title. Um, then the passages we see in both Acts here and in 1 Timothy have no discussion of any sort of anybody carrying a message to anybody. So that, that kind of messenger envoy piece can't be what's going on. Um, so now it boils it down to then either are you a waiter or are you the... Uh, subordinate with delegated authority kind of place, the agency person. So clearly, the passage in Acts talks about waiting on tables, right? Serving tables. But, you know, the, again, it's not a title given. It's just talking about what they didn't want to do at this point in time. Um, in fact, if you think about what really happened there, they appointed those guys to take care of this task for them, right? They, they said to the church, we know this is important. This is very clear. We, we love all of the widows and we want them fed. It is an important thing, but we can't do that. We need someone to help us. So you guys pick some folks and we'll give them the authority to do it. That, that's what they did, right? Um, and, and they asked people, they didn't just say, hey, just go find somebody to do it. They said, think about it. Pick some people full of the spirit and wisdom, right? Pick some people you know can handle this for you. And, uh, you know, they chose people, they named Stephen as a person who was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. So they, they did that, right? They went and found guys that were, you know, a little bit of cut above that could be trusted to do this right. And I, no offense to anybody who's a waiter or anything like that, but you don't need a waiter to be full of the spirit and wisdom and things to take care of waiting on tables, right? It, it, that, that wasn't their task. And if you think about it, they had to manage this whole thing. Seven guys were not going to feed. There were 12 apostles and they couldn't do it. So they're taking seven guys and they're going to go feed everybody. They clearly weren't going to go do the, the waiting on the tables, right? They had to organize it and take care of it. I mean, there were thousands of Christians there in Jerusalem that needed to be taken care of. So they weren't waiters. They weren't people who were just going to go put stuff on the table for people. Um, and again, we see here the prototype that really is the place where this is where we as pastors have landed, I'm pretty sure, is that the deacons are fall into that last category, a subordinate with some delegated authority to take care of some tasks that we need help with. That's the idea. And I think it's a pretty good, um, pretty good way to, to clarify what the office to deacon is supposed to be, that it's a, a place where they're, they're an assistant to the pastor. Not assistant pastors, I'll be very clear about that. This isn't a place where, you know, it's like the, the JV team that someone serves ready to get to be a pastor later on. That's not the point, okay? There are people to help the pastor do the tasks that need to be done. Um, and, and specifically tasks that pastors would like to do themselves but can't get to because of there's so many other things to do and things that, you know, there are priorities in life. Feeding people is an important thing, but the apostles had other priorities that they needed to take care of from God. He, he wanted them to minister in the word and prayer and be able to, to lead people that way. So, you know, that's kind of how we're looking at it. And, and when you put it in that context, instead of the waiting on table service kind of thing, it really changes the game for me a lot. Um, 
The, I, and I think really that's why the duties of a deacon aren't specified in the scriptures. They don't list off they should take care of the building and they should take care of the widows and stuff because um, I don't think they're supposed to be specific. I think they're supposed to grow and change as a church grows and changes. I mean, you, you think about it this way. Um, those things really are church specific. Imagine if the deacon office was defined as taking care of the widows and we don't have any widows here in the church. Why would we have people to take care of the widows when there aren't any, right? I mean, I'm being extreme here, but that, that's the kind of thing. So I, I think the duties really are church-specific. They're probably pastor-specific. Some pastors are good at some things, some at others, and, and need help in certain ways. They're definitely going to be deacon-specific. Some deacons are going to be good at some things and some at others, right? And they're going to be life-of-the-church-specific. Things that are going on now might not be going on in five years, or vice versa, right? Things that uh, aren't going on right now might be happening in five years, and they need to be flexible in that way. Uh, all of this needs to be tailored to the needs of the people and the strengths of the people doing it. So as we do that, we're going to see deacons come and go. We're going to see pastors come and go. We're going to see church members come and go. The, life, the church is going to change. Those of you that have been here for a while, this is a very different church than it was seven or eight years ago. Right? And I assume it'll be pretty different seven or eight years from now. Things are going to change. So the ability to um, step back from a list of tasks to a purpose and a function is important here. The, the function being helping the pastors do what needs to be done to carry on the works of the ministry. Right? I think it's a mistake for a church, for pastors or for deacons themselves, or, or the, the individuals in the church just set in their minds, this is the duty of deacons now and forever, amen. I think that's a bad idea. I think we run into trouble where you know, you're going to get things that don't need to be done anymore. Someone's checking a box to do it. Right? That happens not just in the life like, of like a deacon situation, but that happens with ministries and churches too. That, that's an unfortunate situation. We start something, it works for a while, and then that fritters away, and it's hard to cut ties and let it go. You know, and we've had to do that here. We've had some things that we did that we've had to say no more. Um, and it's hard. People get used to doing it. Um, it seems like something that a church should be doing, and all of a sudden we're not doing it anymore. We feel weird about it. But life changes. Things change. So I, I think that's part of this, too. And in fact, the very structure of how Paul defines deacons in 1 Timothy really indicates that this isn't a task-oriented position, but a function-oriented position. When you, when you look at 1 Timothy, we see the flow, really, of... The, because of the qualifications required, we see the flow of authority also flowing from pastor to deacon. He lists the qualifications out of the pastors. You guys heard all that last week. If you didn't hear that, you should go back and watch the sermon so you know what we're talking about. Um, and he follows up with that. He, he lists all the stuff with the, the pastor, and he says, then, and deacons likewise. That's a connecting, right? That, that's not a separate thing. That's a, because the pastor's like this, deacons also need to be. They flow right out of the pastor situation. Okay, um, and that actually carries a lot of weight now when you think about it in terms of qualifications too, which Steve touched on. But I'm going to go back to that a little bit. You know, we talked about this. All three of us, Sean's going to preach next week about uh, some men that were deacons and how to understand that. All three of us are going to touch on what each other said because it's intertwined. It's not like a, a bunch of separate things. So I'm going to go back to the qualifications things just for a few minutes to help you understand kind of why I think deacon is more of a function-based thing than a, a task-based thing. Um, we, we saw what a pastor needs to be when we did our pastor search, and now we see the deacons in the same way, having a lot of the same uh, qualifications. They're, they're very similar. In fact, so similar that when we drew up our documents for these two offices, we realized, man, the only difference between these two is generally the fact that deacons don't need to be able to teach, 
and that they're not given full oversight over the whole church like pastors are. And that's about it, right? And I think that really lines up with the idea of the, the deacons needing to be able to be so similar in terms of qualifications to pastors that they can have very similar uh, authority and tasks, right? They're going to be given the pastor's authority to do some tasks for them. That's a really good uh, flowchart, right? That's a really good um, advertisement for these guys need to be able to carry out what the pastor's asked them to do, not just have a list of things from the Bible that they're supposed to do. That They're, they're going to be helping the pastors a lot in that way. Um, so it really lands on that subordinate with delegated authority section pretty well, I think. You know, and really, when, when you look at other scriptures, too, uh, Moses, he was leading uh, the Israelites through the, the wilderness. We see his uh, father-in-law, Jethro, come to him. Now, that's a name that people, that, that guy gets a bad rap because people think of Jethro from the Beverly Hillbillies, again, dating myself, I know. But he's like a goober, right? No, Jethro. Jethro was a really wise guy. I, I didn't name any of my kids Jethro, so who am I to talk? But, you know, Jethro gets a bad rap. He was a good guy. He came to Moses and said, you're killing yourself. You can't do all this stuff. Appoint people below you to carry out tasks that are simpler than what you need to deal with, right? Get the guys over 10s and over 50s and over 100s. If it gets too big for them, have them pass it up the line. Eventually, you deal with the hard stuff. That's kind of the same model here in terms of uh, deacons helping out pastors with things that they can handle, right? Some, some things like organizing the food for the widows. That's something that isn't a backbreaker to like spiritual life in the church, but boy, it was causing trouble. So let's fix it, right? Um, it's not a spiritual thing so much, but a, a, a real need and something that needs to be handled. So let's give that authority to these guys to deal with it. In the same way Moses told Jethro to, or Joseph, Jethro told Moses to delegate some authority. I think that's kind of what's going on here too, is Paul's saying, hey, delegate some authority to these guys and they'll help you out. That kind of thing. Just sharing that burden of leadership and caring for people. That, that's, that's really what it boils down to. And one of the things that I read uh, about this really, um, really helped me understand it, so I want to share the idea behind it with you. I won't read the whole thing. But basically, the guy said this. He said, pastors can exist without deacons. And that's evidenced by Paul's address to the qualifications of pastors, elders, whatever word you want to use there. Um, in Titus, in the book of Titus, is a very similar conversation as the book of First Timothy 3, the first half of the chapter where it's about pastors, very similar. We could have used that even as we, we did our discussions. It was, it's so similar to it. But he doesn't talk about deacons. Okay, So a church needs pastors and elders. They can't function without someone to lead that church. right? But the deacon part is a follow-up to that. And it, it comes from the fact that the pastors will need help at some point. Um, so deacons can't exist without pastors. You don't have deacons unless the pastors say, hey, you guys do this for us. Pastors can exist but struggle at some point without deacons, right? The, the mention, so all of this, the mention of deacons as, a, as an office is always tied to the pastor. It's not just a floating around by itself doing things. So I, I think all of that together gives me the picture of that last point there of, of the deacons are intended to be someone who can do things the pastors ask them to do ministry-wise with their authority to do it so that the church can function better. That's the idea that I think that the, the three of us have landed on in, in terms of functions of deacons. Um, the, the real awesome part about this passage in Acts, I want to share this with you because I thought it was really cool to see. When they had this beef, right, that things are going on, that um, probably wasn't, wouldn't have been pork, right? Might have been beef. Um, they, they were arguing about the, uh, the food and all that. Um, and the deacons were certainly delegated pastoral authority to do it, but they were chosen by the people. Which is kind of, we're trying to model that here too. We're trying to have you guys involved in choosing this stuff, right? Because that's what they did. They said, hey, you guys choose out from among you people that will take care of this, right? And even cooler, I thought this was, this is a real cool part. 
The Greek widows are the ones having the issues, right? All those names that were listed were all Greek names. They chose Greek guys, guys that weren't like native Hebrews to take care of this. You think about that in our world today. Imagine, you don't have to imagine, you can watch it happen. Think about the conversation if, we were, if this were to happen, probably outside the church, hopefully. Well, we need to have proportional representation. So all the intersectionalities, and this group needs to represent that person, and this group needs to represent that person. And how's that going to work? Well, let's, we need to have four Hebrews, we'll have two Greeks, and we need to have one Roman pagan, because we have to have everybody represented. Right? That's how that would have gone down now. Right? It's just awful. So I think it's awesome that they were able to say, okay, pick some people that you trust. Greek guys, take care of it. It's okay. And we trust you. Right? The, the Hebrew apostles said, we trust these Greek guys to take care of it. That's awesome. They just, they, whoever needs to take care of it takes care of it. They didn't have to do any sort of politics in that, which is a great word to us, that we can trust people to do things and not worry about the politics stuff. I hope that's the plan anyway, right? So as, as we go forward now, the next question is, how does this apply to us? What, what does it mean for us? How does it work here at River? That's the next point. How does it work here for us? Um, that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked, because that's a hard thing to answer. Okay, So a quick rundown of how we got here, just to give you some clarity on that. Back in 2015, Sean, um, who was half-time as a pastor, and that was it. That's all we had. Other people were helping, but that, that was the only pastoral guidance we had. He helped us get together the, what he called the 2020 vision at the time. I was a couple of years old. We actually, we tried to do this again in 2020 to get rolling, but COVID killed us with that. So we're, we're still you know, in the process of how we're going to move forward. This is part of that, actually. So one of the major needs at that point was we needed more pastoral support. And his, uh, just so you know, his purpose there wasn't to get himself as a full-time pastor. He wanted more part-time people. It's his philosophy that more guys together can do things better because they have different skill sets. So that's why you're seeing multiple pastors here. Um, and you know, here we are now. There's three of us again. Uh, there were three. Jeremy left, and now there's three again. Right? That, that was where where we're, where that's come from. And then the next on the list of priority for church structure wasn't deacons actually, um, because we had some like urgent needs. The the deacon situation is a helper need, and it is, and here we are today, but um, we had more urgent needs that some of the ministries we were trying to, to run really needed people that would just own them and do them and not be a full-blown you know, deacon that covers a lot of our area, but just hey, take care of this for us. So we need ministry leaders, and we've done that. We've added on five or six ministry leaders along the way here. I, I, I meant to count and I forgot, I apologize. But there's several people that are doing things that weren't being handled by an individual. They're kind of, we hope they get done. And there's been some structure to that. So that's in place now. And that's why we're now moving forward with the idea of deacons, to have the, the assistance to the pastors kind of to set up. So that, that's where this is all coming from. So you have some background to that. So here we are again with a place where we're asking, how does this work for us? Um, and I got to say, we don't have anything like written down specific that we don't have job descriptions. I think because of the understanding we've come to here of the general like assistant in ways that need to be done, we're not probably going to write down anything specific right away. We're going to let you guys choose who's going to be doing things and, and go from there. Um, the, the people that are chosen will help us to understand what are needed, because guys that are chosen that, that can do X, Y, and Z, those are the things we're going to have them do. Right? If they can't do A, we're not going to ask them to do it. We're not going to ask people to do stuff they can't do. Right, that's that's part of this. So you know, we'll help people grow. Absolutely, that, that's always something that's important. But we're not going to 
lock in things and say this is the way it's going to be. We're going to try to let this be you know, driven by God and help us to see what's going to happen. And, and that's the beauty of the flexibility that's worked into his plan here, that, that he didn't give us a list of things. He gave us an idea of how it's supposed to work. So it, the deacons who will have a servant's heart, right? They're, they're, that's their intention. They're going to try to help and find ways to help and do things that we need. And the pastors, our job is to equip the saints for the works of the ministry. We're going to help those guys find their places to do stuff. Uh, that's kind of how we're looking at this. Um, and, and as we go along, tomorrow may bring different needs, right? We may have different uh, needs in the church. We might have different deacons that are, that'll, that's a group of people that will cycle a little bit. Pastors might change, who knows, right? There's just, we're not going to lock ourselves in. You know, tomorrow's tomorrow. I heard a guy once say that tomorrow has enough evil of its own. Let's focus on today, right? That's Jesus, by the way, he said that. Um, so let, let, that's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on what's going on right now and work with that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to walk away and say that's all it's going to be. So what are some of those needs for today, right? I want to give you some idea of things, but we're just we're not locking in anything concrete here. Um, we certainly see the deacons, hopefully, as becoming part of the care ministry that sees starting to, to process, right? And that is a very traditional look at things. As the guys did, they took care of the widows. We would hope that the people that are deacons are people who care about the people in the church and want to touch their lives and be connected to them. That, that's clearly something we want to happen. Um, so we intend to have that be part of that care ministry. Um, the, and, and part of that, too, would be like our benevolence ministry. It's, it kind of flows out of that. Um, now, you may not know this, but our, our benevolence over the last few years, we've been able to budget and really try to help folks out. Uh, we, we've helped people during the COVID time when people were out of work. We helped some people with illnesses when they were out of work. We've actually put quite a bit of resources into it. Um, but, you know, that's kind of limited when it's just the pastors kind of knowing what's going on. So we're hoping the deacons become a little bit extension of our eyes and ears and hands, right? And as they get involved with folks' lives, that they can, they can touch base with people and know what the needs are. Because, you know, we don't always get those needs. We don't know that. People, don't, people aren't, aren't very forthcoming lots of times saying, hey, I need some help. So being involved in, in the lives, having another church representative that's, like, actually got a function, touching people's lives, that will help us with that, too. So all of that, that care of people, that's absolutely something we intend, but we'll see how it works, right? We don't know the details of that. Um, another traditional thing, right? Our facilities need some on-purpose attention, right? And that, that's, we need some help with that. So I, I would imagine there'll be some of that, too, but again, we don't have anything specific in mind. Um, you know, there, there's just things like that that are kind of floating out there that we could use some help in. And as we do this, we've actually found some really good, we think really good training for pastors and deacons together. Um, that when once the selection process has happened, we're going to do that with the deacons. We're just going to talk about how this works and, and do some scriptural and prayer time and try to figure out exactly how this process is going to play out here at River because we don't have a, a blueprint in the scripture for it. So that is our intention. Okay, so the the overall picture, I hope it gives you some some idea of the heart behind what we're doing here, that um, we're looking for for a situation where the qualifications are met and that the guys are willing to help and that the pastors are willing to lead them to do that and that they'll serve the church that way. That, that's our thought, okay? I would be remiss if I don't take us back to the last verse in Acts, because in Acts chapter 6, because that really should drive all of what we do here as a church and it really should drive all of what we do here as people who follow Christ, okay? The Acts uh, 6, verse 7, if you put that back up, please, says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Guys, that's what happened when they worked together lovingly. When the church functioned the way it was supposed to, when people had needs, spoke about them, needs were met, everybody got along, and the Spirit was moving, 
people were changed, lives were changed. And we need about that too, right? That's what we need to be about, is helping people discover who Jesus is by showing them what it says about him in the word. We need to see people's lives change, people surrender their hearts to Christ. That's what's going to make a difference in people's lives, right? And that's what we need to be have as our goal. So when we do these things and we do them well, hopefully we'll see this happen, that people's lives will be changed for Christ. And guys, think about this. That last sentence is like, that's a big one. And a great many of the priests who came obedient to the faith. That person in your life that you're saying, nah, not them, not ever, that's that guy, that priest, those Pharisees that were throwing things at Jesus, right? Those are the guys they're talking about there. Their lives were changed too. So we have an opportunity here in trying to make our church grow in the way God wants it to be, to incorporate the idea that, hey, all of this stuff needs to point back to him, point back to Jesus, and point back to getting people to um, follow him and to love him and to know him. That's our goal here, okay? So at, at this point, I'm going to call up the uh, worship team. We're going to sing one more song after they get up here. But I'd like to lead us in a minute of prayer and just to reflect on this stuff. Guys, as we go into this time, the, uh, the process is, is meaningful to the um, to the church body, and we need to do this prayerfully. Okay, so let's pray. Lord, as we uh, enter into a little more serious time here in the next couple of weeks about uh, selecting the men you would have to be deacons, Father, we just ask that your spirit would be in our hearts and that we would have unity. Lord, that we would um, hear from you, think about these things, discuss them with each other, uh, and, and make sure that we, we're on the right path with you. Lord, don't, uh, don't let us be falling off on our own ways. Help us, check us and uh, put us in our uh, in a right place with you as we do these things. And Father, the, um, the, the purpose of all of this is to glorify your name, to let people know that Jesus loves them and that they need him. And we pray that you would uh, work in their hearts, the people that we don't even know yet, who will be um, transformed by your spirit. Be working now, Lord. Help us to reach out and touch them all. In Jesus' name, amen.